0: Custom car care. All right, good morning and welcome. You've got Sarah and Dustin A1 custom car care. We're going to have some car talk over the next hour. Sarah, how's the world treating you?
1: It's good. Now, I have a question. Mm -hmm. How are the Santa's Angels trees looking? So I
0: was so impressed. There are a few left, Mm -hmm. but the majority of them, I don't know how many have you got already. I know some have brought uh, the gifts back here to the studio, but. Um, some of the greatest people have come in just for that, which is awesome. Thank you all very much, uh, on behalf of, you know, all the kids, which is great. Um, but I had been watching them and, uh, I would say there's probably, how many do we start with? Do you know
1: offhand? I think that you guys were in the 20-ish range.
0: I'd say we're well more than 50% of where we need to be. Oh, that's great. I would say there was less than 10 on the tree.
1: That's great. So
0: for anybody that doesn't know, what is that? Because we did a show on it a couple of years ago. Or, yes. I'm sorry. A couple of weeks ago.
1: So every year around this time, we partner with Great Circle. In fact, we've been partnering with them for the last 15 Holy years. Holy Are you serious? Yes. That's It's great. been a very long time. And what we do is we help provide Christmas to a foster child right here in the Ozarks. Mm-hmm. And so we get the Christmas wish list. Many of times the kids have never been asked before, what do you want for wow. Christmas? What if we could give you a very specific Christmas present? What would mm-hmm. you like? Uh, so those kids get to experience writing down a wish list, and then we get those wish lists and we put them on these little paper ornaments. Mm-hmm. We have uh, soldiers that are boys, angels that are girls, mm-hmm. and then we have tree locations, and we put out x amount of kids mm-hmm. on the trees. And then our listeners are absolutely amazing. You guys they, are yes, Seriously. and they go to the tree locations, they pick a kid off the Christmas tree, and they go shopping for them, and they bring the gifts back here to the station, and we help. Provide foster children with Christmas. It is the most rewarding program that we Mm -hmm. do here at KSGF, the most heartbreaking as well, but it is so nice to be able to see the back area where we put all of the presents fill up and it's so nice to know that we are able to provide we have 81 children this oh, year wow. that's so awesome. we are providing 81 children with christmas this year and we cannot do it without our listeners they are absolutely fantastic
0: so sarah i know we're not the only place in springfield so 1935 west sunset is where our uh, main office location and that's where our uh, tree is. Where are the other ones in town?
1: So we have four locations total. Oh, we yeah. have yours, of yep. course, off of West Sunset. And then we have Anchor Tactical Supply. I love that place. Yes, they are off of Campbell. I believe they are right next to what, Ace or uh, Westlake.
0: Westlake Hardware, Ace yes. Hardware, yep.
1: So they are right next to that, if you kind of know the area. Then we have Crown Power and Equipment. That is mm-hmm. off of Chestnut Expressway, pretty close to Glenstone. Um And then we have... I mentioned Crown, I mentioned you, Anchor Tactical, and then Green County Freight and food sales. That is off of Kearney, kind of close to West Bypass. So basically, if you are wanting to adopt a kid off the Christmas tree, you have until December 15th to pick a kid off the tree and get those gifts back here to the station. We need them unwrapped and all of that information is going to be on that Mm -hmm. ornament whenever you see it. So we are so very thankful. Right now, we have about 50 kids that are unaccounted for. Mm -hmm. I'm not in panic mode yet because (laughs) uh, a lot of people we'll do the the shopping uh this weekend mm-hmm. in fact and uh we do get them back that last weekend so not in panic That's mode so. but uh I'm I'm in like a, a code yellow right now I've got like different Mm -hmm. different areas. Not
0: DefCon Five.
1: No, I'm not. I'm not in Code Red yet, (laughs) but Code Yellow. I'm kind of hovering in there.
0: So if I want, and obviously it says on there what they uh, you know are are wanting. If I want to
1: get them a little extra,
0: is is that a bad thing?
1: No, you can definitely do that. There's a couple of different things that you can do. One, we do take cash donations. We say cash because uh, we don't have a checking account set up for Santa's Angels Mm -hmm. here at the station, and whenever people write out the check. You know, we get uh, KSG of Santa's Angels or Santa's Angels or Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And that's kind of difficult for us to uh, do because our... It just, it, it's difficult. Yeah. So cash donations, if somebody wants to donate, uh, and what we do is if there is any children that are left on mm-hmm. the tree, we take those cash donations and Nick and I go shopping for them. And any money that is left over goes straight to Great Circle and they use that money to buy, uh, wrapping paper and tape and bows and bags, things like that. So every single dollar does yes. get used. Um, second thing is, If you notice on the wish list, there is different shoe sizes, pant sizes, shirt sizes. Many times these kids, they ask for needs instead of wants. Mm -hmm. So uh, they might need things like warm gloves or warm socks or, you know, a nice pair of shoes. So that is another way that if you are wanting to give that kid something a little extra, those items can go a long way and Mm -hmm. they will be truly appreciated.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. It It is amazing. So if I'm not mistaken, at least for our facility, you guys have come through and, you know, by about this time, all the kids have been adopted, which is great. So we're down to probably, I would say, less than 10. Um, and if there are any left, obviously we're going to pick them up and make sure they get taken care of. That's
1: great. And we do have all of that info in case you're driving and you're thinking, oh, I really want to stop by one of those Mm -hmm. locations, uh, sometime in the next couple of days, but you couldn't remember all of that's at KSGF.com. It is in our homepage slider. So just wait for our page to load and it'll be the first thing that pops up. Click on that. You'll find all the info. Excellent.
0: Excellent. So It is the season out there, and if you've not been to any of those other facilities, I'm a pretty frequent patron of Anchor Tactical. Um, I would love to, and I've never been out to Crown Power and Equipment, but definitely sounds like That a, is
1: definitely your type yeah. of place.
0: And then uh, Green County Food and Freight, I've been there many times. That's mm-hmm. one of my favorite places to go. They have awesome
1: and... cheesecake?
0: Do they? Yes. No, they have... I've
1: not actually tried
0: their cheesecake. Yeah, so it is fantastic.
1: Now, Crown Power, when I went in there to put up the tree, I put it up a couple days before Thanksgiving, uh-huh. and the guys gave me grief. They said, it's not even Thanksgiving <laughs> yet. And then the other guy started playing Christmas music. Mm-hmm. He's like, we got to get in the spirit. And I was like, yeah you guys are my type of people because exactly. I don't put the Christmas tree up before Thanksgiving yep. either. But in this case, I always do Which for KSGF. Yeah,
0: no, that's fantastic. You guys out there have, Done so well over the last several years, and we're super excited to still be a part of this. I didn't realize it had been running so long, but this is absolutely fantastic. Yes,
1: and I'm just I'm so happy to be a part of it. It really is a good program, Mm -hmm. and just once again, thank you so much for all of you who have donated. I'll have to show you. We have probably and i'm not even exaggerating probably 30 rolls of wrapping oh, paper wow. that listeners have donated oh, it I is didn't even
0: think about that yeah, part of it yeah so, i
1: mean just some people have just brought in you know of course inflation is a big topic yeah. and uh, we've had a lot of people say you know we can't adopt a kid this year but we can help provide wrapping paper and tape and yeah. all that so i mean we have like a bin awesome. of tape and like i said probably 30 to 40 rolls of I wrapping paper it. yeah you know those those
0: <laughs> those things you know i feel like i'm a pretty uh Oh, I guess intellectual guy, but I miss that kind of stuff. Like it doesn't even occur to me, oh, we need wrapping paper or card or yes. tape. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, you can't give them to him in the bag that
1: I know I sent you a meme, I guess it yes, was last week did. that I oh, it I was so funny. It up. Yeah. It was awesome. It was this picture of this like really <laughs> janky wrapped thing and yeah. it said, you know, I can take apart an engine, I can put it back together in one piece, mm-hmm. but I can't wrap a gift.
0: Well, and I will I'm going to do a little confession here. I don't know why, but I always incorporate staples into my wrapping job. (laughs) And I know, I know you, I knew you were going to be like, are you kidding me? I don't know why I feel like that is a better solution. And so a lot of times I staple my (laughs) wrapping jobs together.
1: I want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to send me a photo yeah, of one.
0: It's uh, it's very utilitarian, I guess, is the, probably the best way that I can put it's it. It's
1: unique. At least everybody knows that one is from Dustin. Is.
0: And there have been times where I have given gifts in muffler or catalytic converter boxes. You know, it went in uh-huh, the box yeah. and I wrapped it or stapled it together, whatever I did. And everybody looks at me like you gave me a catalytic. I'm like, "Open the box. Open the box. It's not a muffler. It's it just we have old boxes." Hey, that happens.
1: I I did that last year and the husband joked with me cuz I put it in a box of saltine crackers. Oh, did you? Yeah. I love it. He's like, "Did I get crackers for Christmas?" I was like, "No, but would that have made you happy?" Yeah,
0: maybe it would have. <laughs>
1: Maybe I should get him some this year. You should.
0: And just see, see, yeah, yeah. see how he acts. Just <laughs> see kind of what his, his demeanor is and be like, yeah, you wanted and crackers.
1: Hey, there you go.
0: I like very utilitarian gifts. I know we did a show here a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. that talked about gifts. Um, I don't know how much time we got before we got to run into a break, but I got a phone call about that show from a dear oh, friend really? of mine. Um, he listens and he was my Snap-on dealer for years mm. and he still is a Snap-on dealer down in Joplin, one of my most favorite people, really helped me when I I was a young technician, like get equipped for this this job, this role. And so, Tim, if you're out there and if you are listening, do you know what he uh, had pushback about? What? If you could take a guess.
1: Oh, was it the Amazon?
0: Uh, no, not even on the Amazon uh-huh. deal. But he's like, you're really convincing on selling Milwaukee tools and equipment. Oh, yes. <laughs> he's like, what about Snap-on? And he's right. He does have, I have been a believer and... <laughs> Definitely a consumer of Snap-on tools, and there is a difference. There truly is a difference because, you know, we do this for a living, essentially. That is a professional-grade tool, and not that Milwaukee's not. I have a lot of technicians that use it. I have, obviously, many Milwaukee tools, but I also have many Snap-on tools, and they have really been great, but not everybody out there has a Snap-on dealer and can buy Snap-on tools.
1: Do they do gift cards for their trucks?
0: Not normally, i won 't say really, it is by franchisee, so mm-hmm. each one of these trucks you see running around that is a locally owned business gotcha from an individual, so each one gets to say what they do or they don't uh, so whether it 's Mac Mac co, whoever the big name tool truck guy or lady is i've had some great women uh tool dealers over the years. But long story short, most folks don't have access to that. They do have a website. I don't know that you can even order off of it as an individual. Maybe you can. Um, But eBay, if you are looking for a loved one out there and you want something used, typically it is used. You can find stuff like that on eBay. So uh, we are up against our first break. We're going to dive into some of the repo market when we come back after this. Your complete car care solution. A1 Custom Car Care. Welcome back. Sarah and Dustin, A1 Custom Car Care. Sarah, we need to talk about some of the repo market.
1: You know, I figured this was probably coming. Mm-hmm. I didn't have it on my mind, though. So I'm glad that you're making this a show topic.
0: It, uh, you know, you and I have been talking about the, I guess, the automotive climate, if mm-hmm. you will, for uh, many months at this point, because it, it was crazy there for actually several years. And, you know, a lot of folks out there were in need of a car. They were looking for a car. They, you know, could or or wouldn't uh able to buy a new car uh whether it was price point or availability because the inventory and the sh- the uh, shortages have been such a problem so that drove up the used car market i mean really overly inflated it to be honest it got to where you know back in the day pre you know the last three years or so When a car had an engine or let's say a big mechanical issue, engine, transmission, differential, something that was big dollar items, you a lot of times could buy those cars for, you know, just barely more than scrap because that's what they were worth. Well, even over the last two or three years, I would see cars that needed an engine and or, you know, transmission, fill in the big dollar blank item with whatever you want that were still four, five, six, eight thousand $8,000 and they were super broken like multiple thousands dollars to get them back going which is crazy you know from the mechanic side of me you know i buy a lot of my personal cars or cars for the kids that obviously have mechanical issues or cosmetic issues and typically we rehab them you know with the kids so they learn and experience that stuff and it's not that i want a bunch of mechanics running around that'd be cool but I want them to at least understand and experience. So even down the road, if they're paying somebody in the future, they have an understanding what the value it is that they're paying for. So when I look around as we have new drivers or, you know, that's kind of the part of our life that we're in right now where we've got, you know, kids getting out on their own. So we're on our third child to get them out into the driving world. And when I look around for a car that I know they're probably A gonna neglect and B probably gonna wreck out there, I don't want anything super nice in the beginning. I want safety over fashion, definitely. Um you know, when I look to rehab a car, you know, to start with a car that you're five, six, eight, ten grand in that needs an engine or transmission or big dollar item fill in the blank here it's It's really hard to figure that out, let alone if you're somebody that's going to have to buy a good quality use car. you may be several thousands of dollars and I'm talking twenty thirty thousand dollars for even an economy car, which is absolutely absurd I'm not all that old, but when I was younger and getting into driving, ten grand would buy you something new and it was nice, and it had some options on it. Ten grand today does not go nearly as far as it once did, so what does all that mean, and why am I even talking about the repo market? Well, there is an ebb and flow to every event. So you know, we watched the housing market run up, uh, just crazyville, for a couple of years. People bidding, you know, ten, twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars over asking price. Those prices are way overinflated and really out of the uh, realm of reality, in my humble opinion. Well, the car market basically did the same thing. Well, we're seeing the the ebb, essentially, from the housing market, and we're starting to see it from the car market. So if I was in the market for a used car right now, you're in better shape than you were a few years ago or even months ago. But I think in the next six to nine months, it's going to be drastically better than it is now. Why am I saying that, and what's the data behind it? The data behind it is a lot of these vehicles, and they're going to be some pretty late model vehicles, you know, they, all the stimulus money they pumped out, people went and bought cars, you know, people were getting PPP loans that they either did or didn't need, and, you know, really buying up a lot of those assets or tying that money up, well, the repo man is starting to come knocking, and why am I saying that? Well, when you look at the amount of repossessions across the country that have happened, typically, Most things start on either coast, and then we see them here later. So I'm paying attention to a lot of the news out on the East Coast, the West Coast, and, you know, we're three to four, six, eight weeks, month, whatever you want to call it, behind the coast. And these uh, big auto auctions that deal in a lot of the repossessions, the banks are rolling them across the auction block right now, and the inventory is building and building and building because the banks can't take a hit on that right now, or they're wanting to get through the end of this fiscal year before they take a loss on those repossessions. So right now, those cars are still booked or valued on their side of it for you know close to what it is they loaned on it, and they're not willing to take a hit at the auction and get these out to some of the used car dealers and get them rehabbed and back into circulation just yet. So that is my, I guess, thought process or what I'm sharing with you all out there is that if you'll wait until after the first of the year, tax time is always a very um, busy, it's the height of the used car market for the year in most cases. So a lot of these folks are building their inventory to get through the tax time because people get a refund. They'll either buy it outright or put a significant down payment on a used car. And they will try and at least get through the next year, several years with that new to them used pre-owned vehicle. So that's why I say the next six to nine months. So the banks are going to get through this fiscal year before they want to take a hit on their books and take those vehicles as a loss and let them go for less than what is owed on them, which will create better deals for us as a consumer buying it off of a car lot or from an individual. Or sometimes you can deal directly with the bank or credit union, depending on what your relationship is, which is a good option, by the way, if you have a good credit union and you have a good relationship and a good uh, honestly, a, a good credit score go in the next couple of years, you're going to get some really good deals. And so the height of, you know, February, March, April, a lo- that's going to be a busy used car season. And I'm going to elaborate a little bit on that. But after that, as we kind of start to get into summer, we go through the height of summer, um, these banks are going to start taking their losses and being able to write that off on their books and go through that cycle. So for months I have considered it or years, essentially the last couple, at least it is the, the velocity of money has been very fast. Basically they've been printing a lot of it. They've been flooding the market, basically easy money, getting it out there to everybody that deserved it or didn't. Uh, You can have your own opinion there, but the adverse or the time to pay the piper essentially is coming to roost. So if you have been disciplined and you have been a good steward of your money, and maybe you got a little money, uh, some dry powder, basically, you got a little money sitting aside and you're wanting to get a good deal on a vehicle, that's going to be coming. Uh, but I do not recommend it in the first quarter of this next year, nor at the end of this year. I think you're going to be better off to be patient and, and go through the process of finding a good pre-owned car or even uh, as some of these new car manufacturers start to get things hopefully caught up. um, I know the Korean manufacturers, you know, a lot of the Hyundai, Kia, they're still behind the eight ball a little bit. Even some of the Japanese, uh, you know, manufacturers, Toyota, Honda, Honda. um, I have not seen the inventory you know, bolstered back up from where it once was, but it will be coming. So just be patient if you can. If you're in a spot that you have to buy a vehicle in the next, let's say, six months, let's make it simple, you're going to have to be very conscientious about what you're buying because as we go through the last couple of years or tax season, I see a lot of people try and offload low quality or pieces of junk, just to be very frank vehicles on folks with tax money um i always have a few a year some years are worse than others where cars are way overpaid for they don't bring them in for a pre-purchase to see before money changes hands they own it it's in there you know there's no way to to get their money back or get a refund and then they bring it in and then i find catastrophic you know extreme rust and corrosion that have devastated the vehicle, flood damage um, shoddy repairs to get it you know moved down the road to somebody else to make it somebody else's problem um, and all of that can happen from whether it's a dealer whether it's an individual, whether it's you know whoever out there on the interwebs trying to liquidate these vehicles to a unknowing buyer and I absolutely drive me plum crazy when I see somebody take an advantage and buy something a lot of times that the repairs cost more than even what they gave for the vehicle. Now a lot of times personally I do that all the time. I buy cars cheaper than what the repairs are going to be, even parts-wise. But I know that going into it. And unfortunately, what makes the difference for most folks is they don't know it. So they put all their money that they've, you know, blood, sweat, and tears to trade time of, you know, their life for that money. And then they get, you know, taken advantage of. So if you have a loved one that truly is, now this isn't just I saw this on TV one time, some a mechanic idea. But if you've got somebody that is good at cars, make them involved with it. If you have a relationship with a shop, make that shop involved with your purchase, whether it's us or somebody else. I don't care who it is. Just protect yourself. But we're down at the bottom of the hour. We're going to get into some of your questions and comments after we come back from the break. Welcome back. We're halfway through the show. Our third segment typically is questions and comments and concerns from all the listeners out there. So what do you got, sir? That's
1: right. Okay, well, we're going to start it off with Corey in Battlefield. He said, good morning, I have a question. Dustin mentioned a few weeks ago that newer cars, you're using oil. Mm -hmm. Could you please describe what you mean by that when i was a kid i was always taught that a car or truck that quote uses oil mm-hmm. means it's a sign of a bigger problem yes. uh, like cylinder rings going out mm-hmm. but dustin talks about it now like it's a new normal and to just keep it full of oil so what has changed
0: this is an awesome question Sarah, have you – I know we've talked about it. Do you recall any of my explanations for this? And I'm putting you on the spot.
1: Honestly, it's been a while since we've talked about it, so no.
0: Okay, no worries. I just wanted to make sure and kind of judge the depth. I feel like sometimes I talk about these problems Mm -hmm. so much that you guys are probably like, oh, my God, if he talks about that one more time. (laughs) But, no, thank you very much for hopefully getting some clarification on this. So did you say it was Corey from Battlefield? So, Corey – um what i mean by this and we see hundreds of cars a day throughout all of our shops and our locations and i still do a lot of service work and part of that service work is no matter the reason that it's in there i typically don't do it for exhaust work or state inspections but if we have the hood open on your car i'm typically checking the fluids on it because i don't want to do a repair and then you leave and the car's not got any oil in it hopefully that makes sense to everybody So I'm pulling a ton of dipsticks on the engine oil and and multiple things. But let's keep it to oil today because that's what Corey's question is about. And I'm going to tell you probably one out of, I want to say, 20 or 30 cars that I pull the dipstick on actually has an adequate amount of oil in it. And as you know, now that I've been doing this a couple of decades at this point, I didn't used to see that when I was younger to Corey's point. Even at three to five thousand miles, you would still have the same amount of oil. It'd have if you put five quarts in it, the five quarts would be in there. And if it wasn't, Corey's point is absolutely correct that you typically had a ring or piston ring to cylinder wall sealing problem. And blowby is what a lot of it is referred to. If you take the oil cap off on older cars and start it up, if you had like this fog kind of misting coming out of the oil cap fill cap, or out of the dipstick if it was really bad, you had an internal engine problem. Well, on modern vehicles, they have changed that a little bit. So some of them have full engine vacuum or partial engine vacuum on the crankcase, and they are burning oil like it's going out of style. And the reason that that is is they have what's called low-tension piston rings. And I'm going to say this started mid to late 2000s, So if you have an 05 on up, there's a potential that you have low-tension piston rings. If you have a 2010 or newer, you more than likely definitely have low-tension piston rings. As well as if you have an active fuel management or displacement on demand, that would be for my Dodge, Chevy, and Honda owners out there is where they turn off cylinders as you run down the road. The reason that I talk like this is a new normal is because when I was a kid and I built an engine, the piston rings were so stiff and so stout that you had to use a piston ring compressing tool, which I still have and I've used it for years, that you had to collapse the tension on the rings and if you didn't use the tool and you just tried to use it by hand... The tension was enough that it would just about cut your fingertips from time to time. Mm. Lots and lots of tension. I can remember the last four-wheeler engine I built. It had lower tension rings, and I could mechanically push those down with my fingers because I didn't have the right compressor. But when I would build car engines, which are typically around a four-inch piston bore on most things that I've built, um, those are so stout on older engines that you had to use that mechanical tool in order to collapse them to get the piston to go down in the cylinder. And I know this is a windy answer, but hopefully I'm making sense. The new ones, um, if I had to describe how flimsy the low-tension piston rings are, I would say they are um, probably about like the tension you would get from a rubber band if you put it around a soda cup. They're very flimsy, and I realize the tension's going in two different directions, so just kind of bear with me. If I come up with a better analogy, I will. But the low-tension rings have less drag on the engine, which gets you better fuel economy, but it does not hold the crankcase pressures or the oil from mixing in the combustion chamber and burning it. So to your answer, or to hopefully answer the question, it is engineered oil consumption from the factory. And they did it because the government came in and said, hey, you need better fuel economy numbers. And this is the way they figured out how to do it. So they are consuming oil right from the first day you drive that off the lot. And that is a concern. But the bigger concern on my side of it is the fact that they come in with no oil in them to the shop so regularly. So what I do whenever I either buy a new vehicle, new to me, used, whatever brand new, I start a regimen and I check those fluids weekly in the beginning. And once I go past a month or two, I will have a good idea that, okay, every two weeks I need to put a half a quart of oil in this. And then I can go to a two week interval. And as I go up on mileage, you know, like I'm driving some with two, three, 400,000 miles on them. I check them more frequently, the more miles they get, but I need to baseline the vehicle first and that will allow me to have the data that, hey, I need to be putting oil in this every so often because I don't want to starve the engines for any kind of fluid, whether it's oil or coolant. And in your case, if you have a consumption issue, you need to map it. Um, the consumption issue is a problem, but it's an engineered problem. There's really not a lot we can do about fixing it. What we can do to get you as many miles out of those vehicles as possible is keep the fluids full. So during a oil change interval, which typically is around 5,000 miles, an acceptable reading from the manufacturer is one quart for every 1,000 miles. They're okay with that. Am I okay with that? Not really, but I'm a little bit at their mercy. So if I'm using a quart every 1,000 miles and quote unquote the manufacturer says it's okay and I come in at 5,000 miles and I don't even have any oil on the dipstick, that system has been running on probably 50 percent of capacity and that drastically takes life off of the end of the time you own that vehicle so what does that mean the damage already happened you may not have anything right now that the engine locks up or whatever um, but maybe that lack of capacity or lubricity took twenty thousand miles off the life of that engine or ten thousand or five thousand. If you do that every oil change, you barely make it to a hundred thousand and the engine shot in that thing. So Sarah, that was long and windy. Did that make any sense? Yes. Okay. It did. Corey, if that doesn't make any sense, please uh you know, send in something else and I'll try and clarify. But hopefully that wasn't too windy or or uh, soapboxy of an answer, so
1: All right. Next question. What do we got? It's from Kyle Wyatt, actually. Oh, Mr. Kyle, a beloved
0: uh, friend of the show.
1: So he had a question regarding cruise control. So he was wondering if using your cruise in hilly areas, uh, specifically like Highway 65 near Branson, Mm -hmm. uh, if that is bad for your vehicle, especially if you drive it every day. So is it safe to use or should you just switch it off in areas like that?
0: So I'm a big cruise fan. I use it quite a bit. Um, what I see with cruise and hilly conditions, it is I typically as an operator will anticipate the hill. So law enforcement officers out there, if you're listening, please give me some grace. I typically get a run going down the hill that is in front of the next hill, and I'm going to hit that bottom of that hill at a higher rate of speed, so it's less strain pulling to the top of the hill. Hopefully that makes sense. I'm Mm -hmm. basically using my momentum to pull that next hill. Cruise control, what I see with it is it doesn't do as good of a job. It'll keep you at 70 or 65. And so you hit the bottom of that hill, and you don't have near the momentum to come up the other side, So it typically downshifts pretty drastically, and it revs the engine higher than I want it to be revved for a sustained amount of time. So when I'm pulling one of those longer hills, especially going to 65, I try not to run on the rev limiter because those are pretty long ascents, and you can keep that that engine revved at 5,500, 6,500, 7,000 RPMs, it's probably not going to call it's not going to scatter typically all over the pavement which i you know has happened over the years but it's not real great to run the engine at a high sustained rpm or high engine load when i don't have to so to kyle's question isn't going to hurt anything you're driving pretty new late model well uh engineered vehicles you're probably going to be just fine but if i had my my advice I wouldn't do it. I would get a run and I would, you know, have some momentum going up that next hill. And when it got flat, I'd kick the cruise control on. So we're up against our last break. We're going to try and wrap up, I think, a couple of this uh, right after this.
1: Car care A1 car care.
0: All right. Welcome back. You got Sarah and Dustin, A1 Custom Car Care. We got a few more questions or at least one or two. Miss Sarah, what do you got over there?
1: Sure. Well, I believe you call him Mr.
0: O. I do.
1: Yes. Yes. Okay. So he's a
0: dear, loved friend of the show as well.
1: I ran into him, I think it was last week, and he had a question for those who do DIY work, Mm -hmm. uh, even if you are a professional DIYer do you recommend that type of person coming into the shop every once in a while to have their vehicle looked at? And if so, do you offer any type of service for that? And how often would you recommend them coming in once a quarter, once a year, et cetera, et cetera?
0: That's a brilliant question for sure. And, you know, obviously I'm a professional automotive technician, but I am not a professional tile layer or electrician or any of that stuff, but I do dabble in some of that on my personal life. So I get or identify with the DIY person quite often. Um, where I get a little sideways, and I don't want to make this a negative, but I think it's it's reality, is a lot of the folks do the research online, which I am as well. I, I'll get out YouTube and Google and all that stuff. But I take it with a grain of salt, and I realize that maybe that, you know, 10- or 15-minute YouTube video – was edited in such a way that a lot of that hard work or mistakes have been excluded from what you're viewing online. And the expectation is I can go out there in 10 minutes and do this blah, 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 you know, fill in the blank job. And at least in my experience, maybe it's just me, but it usually doesn't work that way. Um, I was having a a good discussion with some some dear friends here recently that whatever my personal project is, it's going to take at least twice as much uh, money or budget as I anticipated and usually three times as much time as I allow for that project. Now, maybe that's just me, but I would imagine some of you out there identify with that. You know, I think, oh, I'm just going to redo the faucet in the bathroom and then that leads to... You know, the fittings, I got a leak, I got more plumbing problems, the drain doesn't line up, I don't have the right fittings, etc, etc. So, long story short here, sometimes the older I get, the more I realize that it is worth having a skilled person, even though I may be able to DIY it myself, pay them to come in and do the job. So I need to know what my limitations are. Now, if I get in the middle of the job and I give up on it and I do call somebody that is willing to accept my basket case, I had better help them and be as gracious as possible and not think that because I have it taken apart, it should cost half the money. In my experience, when I put somebody else's puzzle back together, it is 10 times more challenging than had I just done the job myself. And I have had cars brought in that were in many pieces that I have put together, put back together for folks, and I have to charge accordingly. I've also had them come in that were in such disarray that I have turned them away and said, "Look, this is this is not going to be a good outcome for you or I." Um it was actually a shop that that had given up on a repair was the last one that I did that. And they had an engine and transmission out of it and wanted me to reinstall a different use something or other. And I declined that because of the standards of the facility. But I digress. Back to Mr. O's question. I absolutely recommend you having some relationship with some kind of professional, whatever it is, and at least have a good rapport with them. And if you have attempted a repair, you had better be as transparent as possible before they figure it out. The normal, um, I think, expectation from folks is if I don't tell them about this, then they're not going to find this and it'll be cheaper. And this is just my thought about this. Um, However, it typically I will find it or one of our folks will find it. It takes me longer to find out what it is you did and whether it was related to the repair needed. So not only do I have to fix the primary repair, I have to fix whatever that other thing was as well. So if you are going to do that, be very transparent, be very um, a big participant in the communication of what it is you're after, what it is you want, and basically work with them. This is not a against kind of thing. Um, and I think that's what comes up a lot. It's like, oh, you know, I could do that cheaper. Well, maybe you could. But is it going to be what the car needs? And I've spent almost over two decades making sure that I understand what the car needs. And that's not always based off of cost. So there are times that if you are a high-level do-it-yourselfer and you can rebuild something and fix it yourself, yes, you can save a significant amount of money. As well as if you do it and it goes south or it is not diagnosed correctly, which is the other side of this, the diagnostic side of the world is more important now than it ever has been, in my opinion, because these cars and trucks are so complex. Um, Yes, you need to have somebody that participates in that with you. So we have tools and equipment that would not make sense for an individual to own themselves. So if you have an emissions-related item or a failure, we have the emissions equipment to analyze the gases coming out of the tailpipe and then make recommendations to fix it based off of the emissions literally being put into the atmosphere. For you, a do-it-yourselfer, that doesn't make any sense for you to make that investment. We have a vibration tool that we have invested in this year that literally will tell you what the rear gear ratio by driving down the road with some inputs and which tire is out of balance on which corner or the engine mounts are bad, the transmission mounts, or we have a suspension vibration. So the equipment and the horsepower that we have to diagnose things is significantly different than what would make sense as a do-it-yourselfer. So you have to kind of know where the ebb and flow of that is so you don't get yourself in hot water. And if you attempt the repair, it's probably going to cost you more to have somebody bail you out of it than if you would have just had them do it up front. But getting ahead of those problems is my next piece of advice, and I think that's where Mr. O was kind of at. Being able to have a vehicle up on the lift and do a good digital inspection is worth a tremendous Uh, Amount to me because information is power in my book. Really what gets us in or through a repair a lot of times is good working conditions, the right tooling, and the right skills and training behind the tooling. So if you can do it yourself, awesome. Invest in good tools for yourself. Um, I've got a good dear friend of mine. He's an extremely high-level do-it-yourselfer. Um, does a tremendous amount of his own work, some stuff that, honestly, if he was interested, I'd hire him and put him to work in a professional manner. But that's not what his passion is. But he works with tools and equipment that are very crude, and so that affects a lot of his work. So there'll be times where he'll bring it in, and I'll be like, hey, you know, what about this? I see this being a problem. He's like, oh, I didn't have the right socket or I didn't have the right power tool. I didn't have the right diagnostic capabilities so he creates things during the process that he wouldn't have had had he invested in tools and equipment for yourself so if you're gonna do your own work yes have a relationship with a good facility that when it gets beyond your ability they're in it with you and if you are going to have your own tools and equipment don't be stingy don't use just all the you know the hand-me-down stuff from grandpa which i love by the way i have plenty of it myself but invest in new tools and equipment that makes your job better and the quality and the time investment of the do-it-yourselfer that your time is worth something too it's not free the older i get the more i understand that time is the thing that i cannot buy myself you know barring you know people find the uh cure for aging you know the the old uh uh, what is that, Sarah? The, I can't believe I'm pulling a blank.
1: Well, you're making me pull a blank. I am too. What are you trying to say to me?
0: The fountain. What is the oh, fountain? Oh, the fountain of youth? Yes, there we go. I feel like a goober at the end of the show here. But um, yeah, barring that, time is worth it. So even if you are doing it yourself, don't struggle. I don't have time to put an engine in that should be done in 10 hours. But because my equipment is so poor and I'm doing it on a dirt floor outside, you know, uh, wherever I live... That it takes two weeks. I don't have time for that. Neither do you guys. So sometimes, you know, it it is more advantageous to invest in something that's going to make your life better than struggle bussing it like to the max and saying I did it with all Harbor Freight stuff or, you know, whatever. And I'm not picking on Harbor Freight. I got some of their stuff, too. But um, don't make it harder than it is because this job's hard. Sarah, is it hard?
1: I don't. Is the struggle I don't know. Is real? I, well, the struggle is definitely real. <laughs> I don't know about the automotive industry, but I do understand radio. You know, <laughs> when you
0: when you look at the equipment that we've got here, if if you got all used hand me down stuff and you had to do everything old school that was ten years ago versus the way you guys do it here now, that doesn't make any sense.
1: Oh yeah, and we've of course over the years updated our equipment, mm-hmm. and it's eons better. It. Yeah, it is. It's pretty amazing yeah. here.
0: It it definitely definitely makes a good uh, work environment.
1: Well, believe it or not, but we are out of show. (laughs) I don't know how this happens every week, but if you are out there in radio land, you have a question or comment, feel free to shoot them in on our text line 417-447-5743, or you can reach out to us on the 1041 social media, whichever uh, floats your boat. (laughs) Yes, and I'll make sure that we get those questions and comments answered on air for you. Dustin, I hope you have a good rest of your weekend. You as
0: well. Be safe.
1: Bye.